Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday, and it is incredibly June the 12th, 2020. Um, And I thank you for joining me. Um, Boy, just when you thought the world could not get crazier, it's gotten crazier. Uh, There seems to be no bottom to crazy. Um, But I I do thank you. And, you know, I, I normally focus on immigration, and I will talk a little bit about immigration this evening but we obviously have to put it into a broader context. And, you know, when I was an immigration agent, I used to joke that at the beginning of my career, being naive and a newbie, you know, you hear these crazy stories and you would kind of shake your head and say, that doesn't sound possible. That's that's impossible. And after about a year or two of being out on the street and working investigations and dealing with law enforcement, you know, most people don't realize the nexus, the nexus that should exist between immigration law enforcement and and local and and state police agencies. I spent many years working side-by-side with the NYPD. Some of the best people I've ever known uh, were were local cops. Um, But, you know, as you encountered situations, it became an educational process. So in the beginning, you know, you're very quick to say, oh, that's not possible. That couldn't be. That could never happen. After a couple of years, you would hear a story, and you'd kind of say, well, that doesn't sound that likely. And it didn't take long after that that I reached what I called nirvana, realism. And no matter what I was told, I had a standard answer. No kidding. You became convinced that cows could fly and and God knows what else could happen. We're watching insanity playing out from coast to coast and border to border. And it's been a long time coming. This didn't happen overnight. You know, I remember back in, in high school, college, junior high, when you learned about wars and you learned about conflict, they always looked at two components, long-term and short-term. Something triggered it right there on the moment. Boom, and it happened. But basically, that boom was the spark that set off a powder keg that had been festering for a long time. You could talk about wars. You could talk about political movements. Just about anything involving the human species, you have to look at two things, long-term and then what set it off at that moment on that day during an incident. For the longest time, our country has welcomed into its borders, and here comes immigration, people who are not the friends of America or Americans or adversaries. Because of greed, we want cheap labor. Schools want to fill their classrooms. Churches want to fill their pews. Come one, come all. For organizations like the Chamber of Commerce and the American Immigration Lawyers Association and churches and companies, the list is long and can be sometimes notorious. Borders were seen as an impediment to their wealth. Why would you want to keep people out of the country? After all, they're going to spend money. If they spend money, our company makes money. Why would you want to keep foreign workers out of the United States? Every company exists for the same purpose. Believe it or not, I don't care if we're talking about AT&T or Seagram's that makes alcoholic beverages or General Motors. Uh, You name the company. They all have a common ground. They all want to be profitable. And the more profitable they can be, the better they like it. It's always about the bottom line. For them, the bottom line is the bottom line. There's two ways that a company can become more profitable. Number one, increase profits by selling more products. And then the other side of it is 
reducing the cost of making the product. Companies do something known as cost out. If you wonder why your appliances of today don't last as long as they used to, you would think with all the technology we have, why do dishwashers and, and, and refrigerators and so forth fail more frequently than they did years ago? Well, part of it is cost out. They hire new engineers right out of engineering school, and their job is to scrape little bits and pieces off of the metal and plastic and see how more cheaply we can make switches and circuit breakers and light bulbs and refrigerators, eliminate some screws and make it a little bit flimsier and take away a little here and take away a little there. And sooner or later, the product bears no resemblance to their old product line upon which their reputation depended. They're making it cheaper to make greater profit because they're not being driven by engineers but by the bean counters because it's all about profit. And if you're going to not make as much money as you possibly can, that's not a good thing. You have corporate executives that will you know, refuse to modernize a factory if they plan to move on to another company because the first question they're going to be asked, did you run red ink or black ink? Were you profitable? Did you increase profits? Well, here we are. We've increased profits by having China manufacture our medication and all kinds of equipment. We've increased profits by firing Americans and replacing them with foreign workers from the third world, and not just illegal aliens, but the H-1B visas. There's a societal price to be paid, because as we do this, Americans lose their jobs and they face wage suppression if they keep their jobs. Alan Greenspan testified for Chuck Schumer back on April the 30th, um, 2009. And the topic of the hearing was comprehensive immigration reform. And it was Greenspan's position. And he testified at the behest of that, that brilliant leader, Chuck Schumer, God help us all. But his position was that the way you solve the problem of wage inequality catch this and when i've confronted republicans nobody wanted to argue or maybe a couple did but they were the exception because they're all in all in both sides of the aisle he said the way you solve the problem of wage inequality because we were dealing in his term with the privileged elite is to hire foreign workers stop the quota on the h-1b visas do exactly what bill gates wants because bill gates of course writes how many checks for what kinds of campaign contributions, which frankly are bribes. Let's call them what they are. Let's stop this Orwellian garbage. So he said the solution to too much money being made by these privileged, elite, high-tech American workers is make them compete with foreign workers. You get rid of that wage premium, and you greatly reduce wage inequality between Americans with skills and those with lesser skills. You might be wondering, what has this got to do with what's going on today? It has a lot to do. Because this takes from Americans, especially American minorities, opportunities for the American dream. If you don't believe it, look at the homelessness around the United States. Now, most of us are mortified. Oh, my God, people are homeless. They have no place to live. How did that happen? Are they all drug addicts? No. Are they all stupid? Are they all uneducated? No. Then how did it happen? Because you have people who have degrees, many graduated with honors, they worked in the tech companies and got canned. People with MBAs got canned. And where do you go when you get canned? You go to the cheapest place you can to find housing because you're not going to get a job in the tech industry once you're fired, especially because the practice for many of these companies is not even give a decent letter of reference to the people they can. Dan Rather did a piece about this about 10 years ago. It was called No Thanks for Everything. People that had worked for many years for Bill Gates and other companies were fired. They had been getting awards. Disney did this to all their programmers, fired them, and made sure they'd never again work in the computer industry. Well, if you're 50 years old and all you know is computer programming, what do you do for a living if you can't get a job programming computers? What does a surgeon do if he or she can no longer work in a hospital? What do you do if you don't have the ability to use your life experiences and the education that you've received for the profession that you've been working in for your adult life, and you're told, sorry, Charlie, forget that job. You're not doing that anymore. Well, what do you do? You stop flipping hamburgers. You drive an Uber. That's what you do. Try to support yourself. So people say, well, they want $15 an hour for fast food. 
this is a kid's job. I got to tell you, I travel around the country, and I wish I had a dollar for every middle-aged person that handed me my bag of food when I pulled up to the drive-in window. Americans are being pushed aside, discarded like yesterday's newspaper by corporate America and the politicians who've been bought and paid for by the corporations. It's remarkable. I saw a photograph. It was a poster, very sarcastic and infuriating poster, but it made a very strong statement. It was an overhead view of a lot of people milling about. I don't know if it was a protest or a rally or who knows what it was. It doesn't matter. It was an overhead view, and you saw people milling around. They looked like ants at the picnic. And the slogan under it, the caption, come back when you have a lobbyist. Come back when you have a lobbyist. Americans need lobbyists to be heard by their own damn government? What in the world is the term House of Representatives supposed to mean? Who the hell are they representing? I'll tell you who they're representing, the people that bribe them. They are the employees of K Street, money talks and BS walks. They're getting checks for megabucks, and, of course, they all have the same song. I don't take PAC money, you know, political action committee money. No, 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 no. I only take small contributions. That might be true, but the parties get the PAC money, and they distribute the PAC money to the politicians from both parties that tow the company line. And then you hear people on the right saying, well, wait a minute, the globalists, those were the neocons, you know. Those are the, 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 the rhinos, Republicans in name only. I don't believe that. Look, Ronald Reagan gave us the amnesty. Ronald Reagan, Ronald Reagan gave us the visa waiver program, and he started the groundwork that was signed into law by George Herbert Walker Bush for the visa lottery, the diversity visa. Look it up. You'll see it. Was Ronald Reagan a rhino? Was he a neocon? Was George H.W. Bush? Well, Bush actually was the guy that first started talking about the New World Order. And look at what Bill Clinton did with the H-1B visas and this whole business with China and replacing American workers. The Democratic Party used to be the party of hardworking Americans. The way you attain equality in any country is to make a good living, get a good education, make a good living. Look at what we've done to Americans of color living in the ghettos. What kind of an education do you think they get? What opportunities do they have? Not very good. Not very good. And then if you add to it the problem of drug abuse, which comes sometimes out of poverty and broken families and everything else that happens, we have a nightmare. And the politicians will come in and make these big speeches, and then they get back into their air-conditioned limousines and disappear, not to be seen until the next election. I want to know why we keep on importing more and more and more and more and more foreign workers when we have over 320 million Americans right here in the United States. Bringing in foreign workers to the United States, folks, makes as much sense as bringing a bucket of sand to the beach. There's certainly no shortage of sand at the beach, and damn it, there's no shortage of talented, willing Americans who will do any job for a living wage if you provide them with the training and the education. But when you go into the tough neighborhoods, and as an agent, I spent lots of time in those neighborhoods, you walk into a building in the wintertime and you can still see your breath, rats running through the hallways. If you're a child living in those circumstances where you're food insecure, where you have no idea where the next meal is coming from, how apt are you to be doing well in school when you go to school in the morning, if you show up at school? Education is the key. Everybody understood that. The whole push for equality was supposed to be to provide education and job opportunities for American children of every race, every religion, because if you can get a good job, you make good money, you bootstrap yourself out of poverty, and you move up to the middle class. My own mother came to the United States at the age of 13 legally, fleeing Poland because of the pogroms, because being a Jew in Eastern Europe was not a good thing. Her mother was not lucky. She could not get out of Poland. And as a consequence, she died during the Holocaust. I was named for her. Then my mother wound up living by herself in a rooming house at the age of 13. You figure this one out. Couldn't speak the language of our country, but she learned it quickly. And she supported herself by working in a sweatshop making umbrellas for the incredible sum of $3 a week as a 13-year-old. But she knew darn well that the key to success in America was education, so she made darn sure 
that I went to college. My dad was a construction worker. He had an eighth grade education. His family came from Russia, Romania. He was born here. He also instilled in me the sense that the only key to success in America is an education. Our educational system is failing us. And instead of teaching hard science, we're getting lessons in women's studies and all kinds of other stuff that doesn't qualify you to do a job. And it doesn't matter if you do get the education because the corporations are kowtowing to Silicon Valley and hiring hundreds of thousands of foreign workers to take the jobs that Americans are eminently qualified for. So add those two things up, and you have rampant poverty and frustration. And when you live in poverty, it's not what are you willing to do to get out of poverty, what aren't you willing to do? And so you have a conflict between law enforcement and you have a conflict between the kids who in order to make a couple of dollars no longer get jobs that they used to have, very often they wind up breaking the law. So they don't see the police officer coming down the block as their friend, as I grew up believing. They see that guy as an adversary. This isn't a healthy situation. So we've created a nightmare in American cities to satisfy the people that bribe government. The wealthy people are getting the best government money can buy. Why the hell should an American citizen need a lobbyist to be represented in the hallowed halls of Congress, so-called? You should be able to call up your congressman and say to the congressman or the congresswoman, I have a problem. I want you to do something about it. Lots of luck. And the system is so corrupt that generally the gatekeepers, the people that provide access to that politician, is 26 years old, went to Dartmouth, Yale, Princeton, Harvard, or Columbia University. God knows how soon before they renamed Columbia University with the statues all being ripped down, by the way. And even if you make a good case for them, I did it after 9-11 with many people who've lost loved ones on 9-11 because of the terror attacks. You had no way of knowing if that person you spoke to would even pass along the materials that you provided. There was no guarantee. You didn't see the congressman generally or the congresswoman or the senator. You saw this kid. And for all you know, the kid could have taken that brochure, the paper, whatever you gave them, could have fed it to a shredder and then told the member of Congress, yeah, they were in, nothing here, boss, nothing to see. Nothing to see. I remember convincing uh, Jim Sensenbrenner, he was chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. It took me 90 seconds to convince him to reverse his position on George W. Bush's guest worker program. I called it the guest worker amnesty program because I raised the concern that people who couldn't prove who they were would wind up getting lawful status. That was a tactic of the terrorists. They gave testimony to the 9-11 Commission. Immigration fraud was the number one means of entry and abetting for terrorists, not just on 9-11, but as a rule. I've arrested terrorists. I've investigated terrorists. That's the reason I've been before 17 congressional hearings, provided documentation to other hearings, and uh, was asked to provide testimony to the 9-11 Commission. We've left all that out of, out of the picture now, and you have a governor by the name of Cuomo who got thousands of people killed in nursing homes knowing damn well that he had no business ordering that they accept pe- people with the COVID virus, and he lies as well. Huh, I was just doing what the feds told me to do. Baloney. He lies every time he opens his mouth, every time I see that infamous Andy and Christie show. You know, goodness gracious. The federal government said, yes, you can have COVID patients treated in nursing homes, but only if you can properly isolate them and have the facilities to treat them. He left that last half out. Those nursing homes had no capability to either isolate them or to treat them. Oops, crime of omission, not the crime of commission, perhaps. All nonsense. So this is the guy that says, we're not, we're not going to uh, um, help immigration out, called immigration agents thugs. Immigration has been the canary in the, uh, in the mine. So they're giving driver's licenses to illegal aliens in New York and a bunch of other so-called sanctuary cities, even though we know that motor vehicles are the weapon of choice by terrorists around the world. And a driver's license gives that person the credibility to move around society very easily. Why would you do that? On the one hand, they want us to stop driving. We're polluting the environment. But on the other hand, they're putting millions of more drivers on the road who shouldn't be on the road in the first place. And we're endangering national security at the same time. And now he says, well, we're not even going to give the information for motor vehicles to immigration. 
Border Patrol, Customs and Border Protection, ICE, take a long walk. We're not going to help you. But he gives that information to Canada, by the way. Canadian border authorities have no problem getting the information that New York won't provide to U.S. federal authorities. Just think about this betrayal. And this passes for normal. And when President Trump said, you know, we're going to defund sanctuary cities, the Democrats jumped up and said, how dare you take money away from the police? Just stop and think about that statement. How dare you take money from the police? You're going to endanger these people in those cities. And then we have this tragedy, this outrage against George Floyd, something that sickened me to the point that it still makes it hard to sleep. We watched a man being killed. I, I thought I'd seen everything in law enforcement. This was a first. This was a disgusting, outrageous, mind-blowing first. Am I angry? I don't have words to describe how I feel over what I witnessed in that video. But where was the Minneapolis Police Department? Let's think about this. The police commission, I, I want you to understand what we're dealing with here. Give me one moment to bring this up. The Minneapolis Police Department is being run by a gentleman by the name of Medario Arandondo. He is the police chief. So here is his story. This is according to Wikipedia. Let me read this to you. A fifth-generation Minnesota resident, Arredondo joined the MPD, Minnesota Police Department, in 1989 as a patrol officer in the 4th Precinct and worked his way up through the police ranks until he was named the inspector for the 1st Precinct. In 2007, he and four other African-American officers sued the department alleging discrimination in promotions, pay, and discipline. The lawsuit was settled by the city for $740,000, and in December 2012, Arredondo was promoted to the head of the Internal Affairs Unit responsible for the investigation of allegations of officer misconduct. Stop it right there. Just think about this. The current commissioner to the police department in Minnesota that the residents are now demanding be dismantled was the head of internal affairs. The guy that's accused and that we saw in the video putting his knee on the neck of George Floyd, according to published reports, had at least 17 complaints for misconduct. I would imagine the police commissioner who used to be the head of internal affairs would be aware of this, wouldn't you? So question number one, why the hell was this guy a training officer with two kids fresh out of the academy? This was their first week on the job, first week on the job. And this was the guy that was going to train them, the guy with 17 complaints, and the police commissioner was the head of internal affairs. What the hell was he thinking? What kind of leadership is that? And let's not forget that two years earlier, an Australian woman went to a police car to complain. She thought that someone had been sexually assaulted outside her building and was shot, shot dead by a police officer, happened to be black. She happened to be white. This isn't about black on white, white on black. This is about malfeasance by police officers who have no idea what the hell they're doing. Look at the management. There's a Yiddish expression that says that when the fish goes bad, it smells from the head. This fish is rotted. I could smell the stench from Minneapolis all the way here to New York City. It smells bad, okay? So the police chief, the former head of internal affairs, should have been able to say to his department, it's not like the New York City Department with 38,000 cops, you would imagine he would have been in the position to say to the captain, hey, this guy shouldn't be on the street. And I'm sick and tired of hearing this nonsense that the unions keep them from firing police officers. In New York City, if they can't get rid of a cop, there is a solution. It's called the rubber gun squad. You have a problem, child, who's creating problems on the street. You take the badge, you take the gun, you take the handcuffs, and you sit his rear end down, and you say, answer the phone. I can't get rid of you? Great. You can play romper room. At least you won't hurt anybody. There's nothing that prevents a commander of a police department from grounding, grounding his people, just like an errant child. You go out there, you keep getting into trouble, I can't get rid of you, well, darn it, you're going to answer the phones, and you're going to move the paper around, and you're going to run errands. You're going to gas up the cars, and you're going to make sure they're nice and washed. You're going to get a paycheck, you have a job, 
and the streets are safer because you're not out there doing crap you shouldn't be doing. Wow, there's a solution to the problem, but nobody wants to find solutions, folks. Government isn't about solutions. Government is about BS. It's not about governance anymore, is it? Is it? It's about maintaining power and prestige. And, and, and look at what passes for leaders. Look at what is going on in Seattle. The mayor, the, the governor, are they kidding me? We're all going to sing Kumbaya. You have guys walking around with AK-47s. Whatever happened to the liberal viewpoint about gun-free zones? Oops. How do you have a gun-free zone without police officers creating gun-free zones? Oops. Has everybody lost their goddamn mind? Please understand what we're talking about. Nobody has any solutions. It's the union's fault. Cuomo blames the federal government because they said we could put people with the coronavirus into our nursing homes. No, they didn't. They lied through their teeth. They're all about photo ops. They're all about standing out there and making great speeches and then abandoning the residents of hellholes that have become these neighborhoods. And corporations get what they want. Slave labor and unemployed Americans and children with no future in their own damn country, and we need a lobbyist so that we can be heard by the politicians whose job is to represent us? Have I lost my mind? Am I missing something here? Police officer who killed George Floyd, Floyd will face consequences. He's innocent till proven guilty, and we have to believe in the system. We have to make the system work. Otherwise, this becomes a mobocracy, and nobody is safe. But we've got to look beyond that cop. We've got to look at why was he there on that day as a training officer on the street. There have been allegations, don't know if they're true, that there may have been some knowledge between Floyd and the the police officer who allegedly killed him. That needs to be thoroughly investigated. And if it turns out that the police was aware that there was a problem there, We start to get into an area where we have to ask, at what time do we start to hold the management of police agencies accountable? At what point? You're in charge. You bear responsibility. It's not just about saying, I'm in charge. Rank doesn't only have privilege. Rank has responsibility. The same thing for our politicians. Police officers are under fire. Does this make any sense to anybody? You want to defund the police? The idiot mayor here in New York City, Blasio, is going to do that to placate the masses. And he hates the cops to begin with anyway. After all, they arrested his daughter for demonstrating and throwing stuff at police cars. What an example. Imagine being the mayor of New York City and your daughter is arrested for demonstrating violently, violently. Great parenting skills, by the way, mayor. So, of course, he hates the cops. They arrested his daughter. He's never liked the police. Cuomo makes these big speeches but calls ICE agents thugs. If you look at the 9-11 Commission report, the key issue was a lack of immigration enforcement. That was made abundantly clear at hearings where I've testified. New York gets hammered the worst on 9-11, suffers additional terror attacks, including an attack that involves a vehicle that mowed down eight visitors to our wonderful city. Can the governor, who's trying to make it sound as though he wants to keep us safe, Yeah, as safe as the people he killed in those nursing homes by sending them there. Wow. I mean, this has to stop. At some point, the music has to stop, and we have to look at the politicians and say, wait a minute, you're not living up to your fundamental obligation to protect us. How are you protecting us? Why would you tell nursing homes to accept people with the COVID virus? I don't care what the Fed said. Even if they did say it and they didn't, does that make sense to anybody? No, it doesn't. As a federal agent, I carried a firearm. I made arrests. I'm proud to tell you I was never once, not once, in my 30 years accused of wrongdoing on any level, way, shape, or form. And I was very active. I made thousands of arrests. But where do we hold the politicians accountable? There's got to be accountability. Everyone wants to jump on the cop. Well, this cop needs to be jumped on, okay? Again, due process, he's alleged to have done it. I I hope they do a thorough, first-rate prosecution. 
I hope that, you know, they meet all the standards, cross all the T's, dot all the I's. But he's not alone. He wasn't out there on the street by accident. He was put on the street by his superiors. And what did they know about him, and why was he on the street? That's the issue, folks. Everyone wants to point their finger at a person. Let's point the finger at the system. Police officers have one hell of a tough job. I've spent many, many hours with them, making arrests, chasing bad guys, working closely with them. Up at DEA Intelligence, I worked with them. In fact, my boss at DEA Intelligence was a New York City police sergeant. Okay? On the task force, I very often rode with the cops. The day I got injured, on my last day at work, I was doing an entry at a drug location with the FBI and the New York City Police Department. I was very proud of the fact that there I was past my 50th birthday, and I was still doing entries. Normally, that's the job for the young guys. I was pleased when the, when the, the um, guy running the operation that day said, hey, Mike, you're on entry. Okay, I know exactly what these guys are dealing with. And you look at the number of uh, police officers who commit suicide, the number's through the roof. Cops are more likely to die at their own hand than they are because some bad guy shot them or stabbed them, and those attacks and assaults are increasing exponentially. I mean, look at what's happened the past couple of weeks. Who are we going to attract to be police officers when cop shows are being taken off the air and police officers are being vilified as the enemy? And you pick up magazines like Popular Mechanics and Popular Science and CNET, and they tell you how to defeat law enforcement, how to deal with tear gas, how to conceal your identity so that if there's facial recognition technology in play, you could escape detection. These are the magazines I grew up with, Popular Science and Popular Mechanics. It's become the, the how-to for anarchists. We've lost our collective minds. So who are you going to get to be police officers? What masochist do you know wants that job where they're going to be automatically wrong and no matter what happens, they're going to take the blame? Do you know anybody that's stupid, truthfully? Police officers, federal agents used to never leave the job until they had to leave. Many stayed on to their last possible day. Today they can't get out the door fast enough. And maybe one of the solutions that we ought to be looking at, because there are so many burned-out cops these days, is let them retire after five years with a reduced pension. You can join the military for a couple of years, do your, your duty for America, be thanked for your service, and move on to other endeavors. We ought to be doing it in law enforcement. 20 years is a long time. I did my job for 30 years. Tough deal. Tough grind. Maybe we ought to give people a way out. They're burned out. They've had it. Let them leave so that they don't feel they've wasted all that time without getting the pension. People always say, oh, those civil servants, you can't fire them. Well, actually, you can't. I've been there when civil servants have been fired. But the closer you get to the day you can get your pension, the stronger the hole grows on you. They've got you by the short hair because you don't want to lose your pension after you tolerated all that crap for 20 years. Maybe a boss who never should have been a boss. And what I saw on my job was we generally saw young people being promoted into management positions, not because they had great experience, but they had great aspirations to shoot to the top of the mountain as fast as possible and God help anybody who got in their way. Maybe we ought to be looking at the job descriptions and critical elements of the way that law enforcement officers are evaluated. Because if you tell a cop that we will promote you if you make more arrests showing you're active, you see, then as a cop you're going to go out there and try to turn what could be a nothing into an arrest so you generate the statistics if you want one of those guys who's trying to soar to the top of the mountain. Is this healthy? How do we evaluate a cop? We're told how many people were killed by police officers, and, and those numbers are bad, not horrible, not the way they portray them. By the way, shut down the police because there have been some bad apples. Johns Hopkins University did a study in 2017, and it was chronicled um, in CNBC. They said this. This was an article that was written, was posted at CNBC, February 22, 2018. The third leading cause of death in the United States most doctors don't want you to know about turns out to be medical malpractice. At least 250,000 people each year die because doctors or nurses or some technician screws up royally. 
250,000, could be as high as 440,000, according to a Johns Hopkins study. 250,000. Wow. Why don't we hear anyone calling for closing hospitals? Why don't we see demonstrations? Why are there no demonstrations over the thousands who died because genius Cuomo ordered that people with the coronavirus be taken to nursing homes, be brought back to the nursing homes? That was an almost death sentence. And if he didn't see it that way, is he able to fog a mirror? You put, and by the way, people couldn't go to those nursing homes. Why couldn't they? You might be bringing the virus in. But when someone was taken from a nursing home to the hospital and they found that the person had the coronavirus and you bring them back to the hospital, if you're worried that the guy's child is going to bring the coronavirus, how about the guy in the room next door bringing the coronavirus back into that nursing home? That's what we're talking about. But there's no demonstrations, there's no riots, there's no nothing. By the way, as far as the demonstrations, I favor them 100%. The First Amendment. I've been screaming about the First Amendment at the top of my voice. The First Amendment. We don't have debates on college campuses any longer. Why? Not real debates. If you can't disagree with somebody, you no longer are a free person. You want to talk about freedom? You don't have freedom if you're afraid to speak your mind. You don't have freedom if you're afraid to wear a hat that says you support the President of the United States of America. And by the way, you don't have freedom if you can't wear a hat that supports his opponent. No one has a lock on the First Amendment. It's supposed to be the freedom for everyone to voice his or her opinion. I thought. I thought. But rioting is not a protected activity. The typical example that we get about the First Amendment is, yes, you are free to speak your mind, but you're not allowed to cry fire in a crowded theater. Well, God darn it, you're not allowed to set a fire in a crowded theater either. And when the media refuses to say that these are violent protests or riots, how does anybody know? We depend on the news to tell us what's going on. We can't be everywhere. We depend on them. And what they have done in the so-called fifth estate, the journalists, the only profession that's actually specifically enunciated in the, in the Declaration of the Constitution Bill of Rights, in the Bill of Rights, let me get it straight, is freedom of speech and freedom of religion. So if you're a person of the cloth, you're there, and the journalists are there. You have an obligation to our democratic republic to tell the truth, to report to the people what's really going on so they can make proper decisions when they vote and when they speak to their politicians who generally don't want to talk to them anyway. Is this still a democratic republic? In fact, there was a study done by a Princeton professor back in 2014 where he came to the unsettling conclusion that this was no longer a democratic republic but an oligarchy where the wealthy get what they want. Wealthy want is poverty to millions of Americans, particularly millions of Americans living in poverty. Instead of trying to elevate Americans into the middle class, that's what the American dream was about. That's what made America the envy of the world. There are other countries that are far more mobile economically than the United States because corporations have bought our government. Kids are growing up in neighborhoods, and they have a sense of hopelessness. I know. I spent years in those neighborhoods. And if you talk to them about the destruction of the middle class, it doesn't really upset them because they know they will never be part of the middle class. You may as well tell the average American that they're about to raise taxes on people worth over a billion dollars. They'll shrug their shoulders and say, who cares? It's not me. The middle class has become an unattainable dream for outrageous high numbers of Americans today. Keep your aspirations low if you're a realist, because that's the message. Because we're going to keep on bringing in foreign workers and train foreign students in our schools. And what happened to the American dream? What happened to our notion of freedom? And you have politicians who say it's okay to take over a city or part of the city in Seattle, and say, oh, they're just having a celebration. The police left the precinct. I've never seen that happen in my entire life. 
It happened in the third precinct in Minneapolis, and now it's happened in Seattle, ordering the police out. If someone's getting mugged or raped or there's someone breaking in, who's going to respond? Nobody? You're going to call the local gang? Yeah, call MS-13. There's stories about people being shaken down by these characters marching around in this little enclave they've created. America is becoming a third world country because our leaders are worthy of being leaders in third world countries. This isn't how America operates. This isn't about left or right. This is just darn wrong. It's darn wrong. If you want to lift children out of poverty, you give them educations that are worthy of an American child. And then you make sure that American companies hire Americans, hire lawful immigrants. What is the point to coming to America today when you know that if you're here, you're going to have to compete with people from other countries for the jobs? We're not going to attract the world's best and brightest this way. And we already have the world's best and brightest here in the United States, folks. We call them Americans. And so we're vilifying the police. They've taken cops off the air. They've taken PD live off the air. Those programs should be on the air twice as frequently now than they were before. And you know why? Because people get to see the police officers for who they are, human beings trying to do a tough job to keep our towns and cities safe. Wouldn't that go a long way to this notion of community policing so that people understand that that police officer is part of the community, that he or she is acting not out of vindictiveness or because they're being mean, but because they want that town to be safe and orderly. And we shouldn't be using law enforcement as a funding mechanism. I think that's happening way too frequently. Encouraging cops to go out there and give out summonses and all this other nonsense. This isn't what law enforcement is about. The politicians want money and more money and more money. My father used to joke with me. We used to drop 35 cents in the collection basket going through the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel, which was the, is the longest tunnel, underwater tunnel in the United States. It was an engineering marvel when it was done. And my dad said, you know, they said that we would only be paying the tolls until they paid for its construction. I said, when will that happen, Dad? He said, never, because as soon as they pay for its construction, they'll increase the toll because they'll have some other racket they want us to pay for, they meaning the politicians. Well, if you thought those politicians were bad then, he he should see the current crop of our political leaders, so-called, today. Money, money, money. We want more money, and we're going to find more ways of doing it. You know, red light cameras and everything else under the sun. Let's get money away from you. Let's separate you from the money. That's what this is about. This isn't about governance. It's not about looking out for the well-being of the residents of these towns and cities. You had Mayor Dub Blasio talking about how they were changing regulations so people could live in basements and in garages and little houses in people's backyards. Downsizing the American dream. Is that what that is? You've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. Legalizing pot? Why? Why? Cigarettes are illegal. Light up a cigarette and see what happens. So now we're going to legalize pot. We have a heroin epidemic. We'll legalize marijuana. These, these, these politicians would legalize prostitution if they thought they could get away with it. But in reality, they are the prostitutes. They are the prostitutes. And we're paying a price for this. What happened to George Floyd should never, ever happen to anyone. But what do the riots have to do with demanding reform? What kind of reform are we getting when you're going to defund the police where they should be getting more training and not less training? And I want you to know something else. And I'm sure you don't even think about it unless you've been in law enforcement. But one of the principles that we're taught in law enforcement when you go to academy is that when you make arrests, you want to go with overwhelming numbers and overwhelming firepower. By the way, they're talking about getting the military equipment away from the police. We heard this garbage after the Michael Brown incident. And even some conservative talk show hosts, oh, oh, we don't need those armored personnel carriers. And then look what happened in San Bernardino 
they were about to take away the armed personnel carrier that had been given to the locals by the military, and they needed it to defend those people against those two terrorist dirtbags. Military equipment should only be used in the case of a terror attack or something of comparable magnitude. I never liked the idea that you had these so-called Hercules teams, all these cops in body armor and Kevlar helmets jumping out of their cars with submachine guns and standing on a street corner for 15 minutes, jumping back in their cars, racing across town and jumping out of their cars and wandering around with it. That, that was idiotic. It was stupid. I didn't like what it looked like. I didn't like the, the, the way that it made people feel. I certainly didn't like it. And I'm not anti-cop. But you need to have those units in reserve for the day that there is a terror attack because you better be prepared. You don't buy a fire engine after a fire hits one of your big buildings. You have to have fire engines in the firehouse gassed up with all their equipment ready to rock and roll when the bell rings. We never know when the next terror attack is going to come, and we're certainly making ourselves vulnerable by all these distractions. In fact, what you probably don't know about is that Iran is almost at the breakout point because of the Obama deal to have nuclear weapons. There's a good bedtime story for you. So the potential for a terror attack grows greater as we grow more confused and at odds with each other. And this has been happening in large measure because we've allowed people onto our campuses who want to do damage to America. China and Iran and Russia have all been sending tons of money to our universities. There's an investigation ongoing that points to at least $6 billion. And, of course, the Democrats are thrilled to see Americans in poverty. That's their new shtick. The reason I was registered as a Democrat is because I always believed that the Democratic Party looked out for the middle class. Well, you can forget that now. It's not about the middle class any longer. And, in fact, there was a very interesting article written about how, if I can find it for you, um, let me see if I can find this. Well, I'm sorry, I don't have it handy. But one of the senators were pointing out that Pelosi and Schumer are looking to provide money to anybody who can keep the slowdown going to keep businesses from opening. Now, I don't know if he's accurate or not, but it's an interesting supposition because it parallels an article that I wrote for Front Page Magazine a couple of weeks ago. It was entitled, In Order for the Dems to Succeed, Americans Must Fail. And, in fact, I included it in my latest article about America under attack over at frontpage.com. People that are in poverty need bailouts, need subsidies, need food stamps. And generally, the Democrats are the party of the handout, and the Republicans aren't. So if you're a Democrat and you could drive more people into poverty, you have more people that will be reliant on you for the crumbs that they dole out. And the Republicans, of course, oh, free college, are you crazy? Well, I, I believe in free college, but for American kids, American kids. Let me say that again, American children living in poverty. And not to study basket weaving, but engineering and science and math. We pay to have our pilots trained so they could fly military aircraft to keep America safe. And after they get their, their wings and after they fly for six, seven, eight years, whatever the deal is, they're free to leave the military and, and, and take a job in the private sector if they so desire. Why shouldn't we look at a college education for American children the same way? Get kids out of poverty. Get crime out of these terrible neighborhoods. Clean up the mess. These riots have done such damage to so many people's businesses, and many of them are minority people. They weren't demonstrators. People throwing bricks and setting fires aren't demonstrators. They're rioters and looters and thugs. And it seems as though that's what the Democrats really want. They don't want immigration law enforcement. Immigration is effective to go after terrorism and gangs and fugitives from justice. I know. I've arrested people wanted for murder in other countries. I've arrested terrorists. I helped to prevent a terror attack in Israel at the beginning of my career. If you oppose secure borders, you're opposing public safety and national security. What rational politician could be against that to make our country safe? If you're worried about burglars breaking into your house, if you're worried about home invaders breaking into your house, you buy a good security system and lock your door at night. Who in their right mind would leave their doors open if the police come around and say, you know, we've got people breaking in all the time. They're looking to steal what valuables you might have. 
You go to the bad neighborhoods, and the people in those neighborhoods live like prisoners. You can tell the bad neighborhoods there's bars on their windows and doors. What a way to live. And by the way, these yo-yos that have cordoned off that area of Seattle, they've posted guards to keep people out. They have their own damn border patrol, and they've got their own guns while the Democrats scream about no borders and no, goes, and, and no gun zones, gun-free zones. Where, ladies and gentlemen, am I getting this wrong? What is it that I'm missing here? What exactly am I missing? How in the world do people not understand what I'm saying? You see, American people need to wake up and they need to start to ask tough questions. I always make the point that Voltaire was right when he said that you judge a person's intelligence by the questions that they ask. So here's the question. Who do you call? Don't tell me Ghostbusters if we've lost our mind altogether. Who are you going to call when someone's breaking into your house or there's a bad car wreck? You call the police. You want to have a city with no police? What does that even look like? What does that even look like? How in the world could anyone even make that statement? By the way, I've come up with that article because this is worth looking at. This was posted at the USSA News at the Tea Party uh, publication from Sarah Carter. We've all seen Sarah on Fox News. I know her. She's a terrific journalist. But Senator Barrasso has made the statement, Democrats are rooting against our economy. They don't want the states to reopen. Here's the quote. We are, however, seeing some states and some communities drag their feet and be slow to open their economy in the states of Senator John Barrasso, Wyoming Republican, and why? This is his statement. Part of it is because Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer have promised them big checks if it happens and they take the majority in the Senate and take the White House, as if there's a prize for having a bad economy, and the prize is the election victory for the Democrats. Quote, that may be who the Democrats are rooting against our economy. Republicans are committed to opening our country, opening our economy, and getting Americans back to work, Senator Barrasso added. Now, he's a politician. Maybe he's being political. You decide for yourself. But how in the world does it make any sense that we have all this homelessness, we have all this craziness going on, and you have Democrats calling for the end to police or defunding the police? These are the same people, by the way, and I'm going to remind you again, who said that when the president was going to defund sanctuary cities that he was endangering the people in those cities, and it was outrageous. Now they want to defund the cities, the police departments from those cities. And I started to make a point, and I want to really hammer this point. One of the things that we're taught at Academy is when you go through the door to make an arrest, you go with superiority of numbers and superiority of firepower, not to hurt anybody, but so that it doesn't become um, a possibility that you will. If you go in with overwhelming force, the bad guy's going to look at those numbers and look at the weapons and say, you know what, I have to comply. If it's a one-on-one, God knows how it's going to turn out. We have an expression in law enforcement, and it's used in the military also. If you engage on a mission and find yourself in a fair, somebody screwed up the planning. Law enforcement and the military aren't looking for a fair fight. We want to go in, we want to go in quickly, and we want to get the objective accomplished and move on. If the objective is arresting somebody, we don't want this to be tag team wrestling. We want to be able to go in, and the bad guy looks at us, and he sees 10 guys standing there with assault weapons or whatever it takes. And the people I'm talking about, by the way, because I know what you will hear from the crazies, we're talking not about dishwashers, but terrorists, drug dealers, and people wanted for murder in other countries. They have nothing to lose. They know they're going to jail for life. They're never going to be out again. They have nothing to lose. You go in against those people, there's always the potential for a shootout. The way you avoid the shootout and getting innocent people hurt is to have superiority of numbers. They realize they've been caught. They realize that they're cornered, and they realize that if they shoot, they're going to be vaporized. Problem is solved. The Strategic Air Command used to have a slogan that peace is our profession. They flew those big bombers right up to the Soviet airspace to let the Russians know we're here. We're large and we're in charge, and you will comply or else. I call it, um, you know, um, deterrence through enforcement. That's what law enforcement does. 
but we've got to stop using the police for wacky deals like we're going to get more parking tickets. We have quotas. When you start telling cops they've got to make arrests, they've got to justify numbers, you wind up with police officers who are being forced, in some instances, I believe, to escalate situations to satisfy the numbers monster. It's all numbers game. It's meaningless. It's counterproductive because at the end of the day, the mission of law enforcement should be public safety and public order, not looking for confrontations, but looking to diffuse confrontations. If you get to reimagine police, then reimagine them as a force to preserve the peace and to preserve innocent lives and not be an income generator for these politicians who can never get their hands on enough money. Law enforcement should not be an income generator. Again, the mission of law enforcement should be to protect lives and property and restore order or maintain public order. That has nothing to do with generating money. We always think about this small town with the cop waiting on the other side of the speed limit sign with a radar gun. That's not what law enforcement is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about working with the community. And I will tell you, as an immigration agent, I did that. When I went into a neighborhood and people said, well, people won't cooperate if immigration's out. It's not true at all. If someone said to me, you know, my mother was applying for citizenship, she needs a passport, she wants to go to Europe in a couple of months, we were required to get the information and try to help them. And we had people in those communities that when criminals moved into the communities, my phone would ring and they would say to me, you know, Agent Cutler, I appreciate that you helped us last month. There's a guy living across the street from me and cars are coming and going at 2 o'clock in the morning and they're from all over the place. Something is wrong. I can't tell you how many times I would get calls like that. All of us would. The communities didn't see us as the enemy. They saw us as the people that made certain the immigration system that is the most generous in the world had real integrity. It's the members of the ethnic immigrant communities who suffer the worst violence by transnational criminals, not just from Latin America. Immigration isn't about a race. We keep coming back to this race business. It's about people who are not citizens of the country and whose presence in our country is dangerous and harmful. What in the world is wrong with that? If you go to a nightclub and you become, you know, crazed, the bouncers will bounce you. The Congress has a sergeant at arms. America has immigration agents, but you'd never know it if you listen to these politicians. Once they went after immigration, I always feared, could other law enforcement agencies be far behind? Well, guess what? First they were saying abolish ICE, and now they're waving signs that say abolish the police. Goodness gracious. The anarchists are running the asylum, and we the people have got to stand up. Our future, our children's future, the future of this great nation are all hanging in the balance. I always like to make the point that democracy is not a spectator sport. By the way, I want you to remember that I also do podcasts with Dennis Michael Lynch over at Team DML, and I certainly do my writing for frontpagemag.com. But I really hope that my program helps to provide you with food for thought and a different perspective from what you're getting in the mainstream media, because that has really become the uh, Ministry of Truth, right out of George Orwell's 1984. And as always, I urge all of you to consider purchasing and reading 1984. You will immediately understand the nonsense being foisted on us by the media and by politicians who certainly are doing anything and everything but representing America and Americans. And don't look at these issues as left-right issues, folks. These are right-wrong issues. It's time for the American people to be heard, and it's time for the politicians to come to understand that we're not the fools that they had hoped we are. They've been playing us for fools long enough, and enough damage has been done. Please remember, democracy is not a spectator sport. Please make certain that your friends get a copy of the link to this podcast. I want you to be part of my bucket brigade of truth. The more of our fellow Americans that we educate and the more of our fellow Americans that we get to ask the right questions, the sooner the craziness can be brought to an end. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great weekend. Stay well. Be safe. See you next week.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.